Welcome to the Climate Action Show. My name is Carly Dover and we would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, upon whose land we are broadcasting here at Radio 3CR, and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, where we can be heard at Radio Skid Row in Sydney. On the Climate Action Show, we talk about what's hot and what's not with climate change. Please share the show if you like what you hear, and remember there can be no climate justice without First Nations justice. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Climate Action Show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, hosted around Australia on the community radio network and podcast, hosted on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Make sure to share the show if you like what you hear. My name is Carly and my guest today is Bonnie, an activist and campaigner from Fireproof Australia. Hi Bonnie, thank you for joining us. Um, Hi Carly, thanks for having me on your show. No worries. Firstly, can you please tell us about Fireproof Australia and how you came to join them? Okay, so um, Fireproof Australia is a new activist group um, and I suppose it formed as a result of a lot of actions that took place in Canberra with Extinction Rebellion members last year. And uh, I suppose... Being such a large group, it was not everyone agreed with the tactics um, we were using in um, getting more and more um, direct actions happening. And so we've decided to sort of move away from Extinction Rebellion so that we can do the actions that we feel are necessary at this particular point in time, Um, which is obviously um, direct actions and civil disobedience Um, being that squeaky wheel that we know we need to be to get the attention of government because it's too easy to ignore the messages they don't want to hear otherwise. Um, So I suppose um, part of that plan was finding some some really good um, demands to um, put forward and, you know, we've heard very recently from the IPCC report that we can't avoid 1.5 degrees of warming now. And so the people of Australia really do need to be protected. We, um, I'm on the south coast of New South Wales. Um, I'm a journalist and um, I covered the, bush, the Black Summer bushfires for a number of different publications on the south coast mm. and just was really um, traumatised from talking to experienced firefighters who had who had trauma in their voices, um, who were talking about how unprecedented it was and how they'd never seen anything like this before in their lives. You know, people describing two-metre-high fireballs, which Mm-mm. was like a locomotion running across paddocks of just grass on one inch of fuel and um, houses imploding before the fire even got to them from the heat people losing their homes, and, you know, it's absolutely important, essential that we, um, with extreme weather events becoming the norm, I think the IPCC report said within 10 years these are going to be normal summers for us Mm. and um, we don't even have a fleet of water bombers that are owned by Australian. So um, we know that the fire seasons overseas are now 12 months of the year. And while we've had that really nice um, reprieve from La Nina, um, it's not going to last forever. 
and mm-hmm. has created floods that are just as bad as the fires. So, you know, again, we need protection from these things. So we've come up with three really, um, really reasonable demands that, you know, we want a fleet of firefighting planes here in Australia and you know, a sovereign fleet um, with Australian pilots to man them. Um, or women them to 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 fly them, and we want people rehomed in a reasonable period of time. Like there's people that after two years still haven't been homed, still haven't got homes. Um, I was reading an article from someone on the south coast in the Mercury um, or in the Mercury newspaper, which um, you know this poor woman after two years they were still trying to find the means to get a new home. And there was a lot of criticism saying, oh, well, they should have had insurance. But Mm. who can afford $30,000 plus insurance for these disaster insurances, which, Mm. you know, the insurance industry knew these things were going to happen um, in the future because, you know, everyone listens to the science except for our government. Um, so, so yeah, the other two demands are also very reasonable. Um, also, that was the fire, the fleet of planes, the rehoming within a reasonable period of time, mm. and um, also smoke filters. So even people in Sydney that had no direct fires um, threatening them had smoke um, keeping them indoors for I think ninety days over that black summer. So. Yeah, we've just had COVID. We've seen that, you know, children can't go to, couldn't go to school, but at least they could go out in the backyard. At least they could go for a walk for an hour a day. But, you know, these, this smoke was like, I think it was 30 cigarettes a day. So, um, you know, if we, we really need to protect our vulnerable people. So smoke filters in schools, disability, um, facilities and aged care. All seems incredibly reasonable. You know, and I, I really, 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 um, the scale and the urgency seems that fireproof Australia. You're you're meeting with, you know, um, open arms. How did you come to be involved in climate groups? Um, I suppose I'm a bit of a climate nerd. I read all the science <laughs> and the reports. Um, I suppose I've been working as an environmental reporter, you know, um, for quite a while and um, it just gets to the point where you have to do what you can because you know and you can't unknow what you know. So, um, you know, I've been in this field for a while and, you know, we, we wanted, you know, we watched while the, cli- the Paris Climate Agreement didn't come about for, you know, way too many years and then when it finally came about you know it just really I suppose it gave people faith that something was happening but nothing was happening there was no um nothing making it essential that countries kept to their agreements and there was no um accountability so it was really the agreement that was useless and we know that now because, you know, Saudi Arabia was one of the leading negotiators and there was no way they wanted to keep um, emissions out because they wanted to make a lot of more money from their oil. So mm. um, I suppose, yeah, really once you start knowing, you can't unknow and it just becomes really important to do as much as you can. Um, I, in the last year, I've 
um, become a lot more active. I um, I'll just share something a little something with you here. I've actually um, been diagnosed last year with triple negative um, metastatic breast cancer, so it's an incurable cancer. And um, you know, I'm not sure how long I've got left on this planet, but I just want to make sure that while I'm here, that I do everything I can to um, forward this agenda and leave the planet a better place for my children, my grandchildren, and future generations. Bonnie, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so sorry to hear that, but that is a very, very noble way to spend the last hopeful many years that you have left. I recently saw that Fireproof Australia was all over the news. Can you tell me some about the recent campaigns? Yeah, well, obviously it's been blocking roads, um, a very simple strategy, which um, we don't have to reinvent the wheel for um, each time. Um, so blocking roads in peak hour traffic in the mornings and it's not a huge um, inconvenience to people. You know, I lived in Sydney for many, many, many years, although I'm on the south coast now, away from all that traffic. And, you know, every morning you're stuck in traffic and mm. often there's, there's accidents or just too much traffic and you sit there for a long time in bumper-to-bumper traffic. But usually, you know, we do our actions at 8 o'clock. Usually the police are there by 8.30 and we're removed very quickly after that. So, it's not a huge inconvenience, but it's enough, it's enough to get attention. So we've blocked the Spit Bridge. We've blocked a road in Sutherland in um, Morrison's electorate. We've blocked entrances and the Harbour Bridge. And um, we were getting attention. Um, unfortunately, along the way, um, a state minister got caught up in the traffic on the spit bridge and mm. caught up in parliament and our laws are actually changed. So um, now it's a jailable offence to block roads, um, bridges and tunnels and major facilities um, and $22,000, um, up to $22,000 in fines. Um, so we've had, we did have a judge very recently um, who was adamant they were not going to jail someone for blocking a road in protest for a climate emergency. Mm. Um, but the police were very, the police prosecutor was very adamant that that's what they, exactly what they wanted that magistrate to do, jail us. And we have had two um, activists jailed in the last few weeks. So one of them was Fireproof Australia's Andrew George, who ran onto the um, football field and an NRL game. It was a Sutherland versus Penrith, I think. And he had a Fireproof Australia cape on. He lit a theatrical um, flare. It wasn't a marine flare. It didn't have all those chemicals that were being accused of. And it wasn't an explosive device, even though he accidentally pleaded guilty to that because police actually don't tell you what you're pleading guilty to mm. right beforehand. Um, so, um, and Max from Blockade Australia um, was in prison for four months and he is now out on bail um, on house arrest. We've got two members at Two, I'm sorry, supporters, we don't have members, on house arrest at the moment, one with a $10,000 surety and her bail conditions and one with $5,000. So we're getting more severe penalties than criminals in some instances. And really we're simply trying to get a corrupt government to take action. 
They are beholden to the fossil fuel industry. And in recent months, Susan Lay, the Federal Environmental Minister, has um, approved at least five new mines. So really they're not taking, you know, this um, seriously. We've had, you know, the United Nations, the IPCC report, we've got um, ex-fire and emergency services chiefs calling them out. We've had a Royal Commission for the bushfires, um, mm. from the Black Summer bushfires, and they don't listen to any of the findings. But, you know, we all know that the science is correct. The, and our government has a, gets the same science that we read. They get more That's from right. They know exactly what the situation is, and yet they choose to um, pander to the fossil fuel industry. I think there was $11 billion extra in subsidies in the budget, and there was money taken away from new renewable energy. Um, I think it was $700 million, and that's just from the top of my head. I, um, but um, how are they taking this seriously? when we might have one or two years to take actions. Mm. Oh, well, that's the thing. They're, they're quick to um, put money away or take it away when they want to. They also cut $600 million from Australian public schools and they're very quick to put these tens of thousand dollar fines on people protesting so they can move quick when they want to move in a particular direction. They can. And look, we absolutely have the technology and the expertise and the knowledge and the plans to very quickly be shutting down um, these gas and coal generated power facilities and invest in renewables. We just don't have the political will right now to do it. And most of these power stations were sold off from our state governments um, with the neoliberal policies. Um, at very, very minor costs. And these these private companies can't afford to maintain them and they mm. all need upgrading now. So the logical decision is to shut them down, not to keep giving them more subsidies and to invest in renewables so that we can, can you know, fast forward that industry. There's, you know, what people don't talk about is black lung disease you know, we've got coal mines not far from where I live in Wollongong. They're actually in our water catchment areas, some of them, which is totally ridiculous. But mm. there's generation after generation of men, usually, um, who work in these mines who die of black lung disease. Mm. And, you know, families um, don't want to continue that legacy. And, you know, there's good jobs in renewables. I've seen um, ex-mines rehabilitated into renewable hubs where we've got different types of renewable energy all supporting each other. Um, so, you know, flooding out the mine base, using wave and water-generated energy, using push-pump power, and then solar and wind to, to finalise it. So we can have electricity running around the clock without um, the heavy cost of coal and gas to our atmosphere. As you said, the political will is just what's needed. I wonder what has Fireproof Australia got planned for the rest of the year? Okay, well, it's very early in the year still. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm so tired already. <laughs> <laughs> what we noticed um, was when we were blocking roads, everyone was telling us, why are you blocking roads? You know, this is terrible. You're disturbing people. You're not winning friends, you're getting a lot of hate. Um, you should just be talking to the media. Um, you should be talking to the government. But 
they ignore us when we're not doing something extreme. So, mm. you know, we have sent out media since we stopped blocking roads a few weeks, you know, a week or so ago. And, you know, we get, we get no uptake. Um, we get no one on listening to us. We have put out a public letter to our government, an open letter to our government and to the opposition, to the cabinet, and um, we've received no response. Um, so we will pursue that. Mm. Um, we have an election coming up and we do need to keep calling out government policy on the climate and ecological emergency because that really needs to be top and centre. You know, it's, it's really worrying in an election period when, you know, climate is the biggest issue in the world and people are worried still about their, um, their tax breaks and, um, you know, other little perks. So um, we do really want to get the attention we need. Um, we are hoping that we will get rid of the government, the current government in the election and that we will be able to influence positively the new government to um, take the climate emergency seriously and to take action immediately um, as if it was a warlike effort because mm. um, we could do it with corona um, to some extent, not everyone you know, is a bit, a little bit <laughs> different on that, but at least we, we did take action and we did change things up as it went, as new information came about, whereas we've got no political will to, to do anything about, um, changing our situation with renewables and coal and gas, etc. Um, so I think that that'll be the period really, um, Sydney's been a great disappointment in the way that the um, courts and the magistrates and the police have responded. A special task force, Task Force Guard, was um, established to deal with Fireproof Australia and Blockade Australia um, because we're the two biggest forces calling out the government and doing disruption to, to do that day after day. And so they really want to shut down our messaging and we will do whatever we have to do to keep that messaging mm. out there. Mm. Um, I suppose, you know, the government would like us to think that everything's rosy and peachy, but, you know, we know it's not. Mm. We know that these weather patterns we're having are not normal and these are extreme weather events and that's what our future is going to be, have more of. And, you know, the only way to counteract that is to act immediately to to stop coal and gas and to stop all these emissions. That's right, because no one is safe. Exactly. Mm. Where can our listeners find out more about Fireproof Australia? So we have a website, fireproof.news, um, where you can find out um, you know, about our aims and connect with us. You can share a testimonial. Um, we've also got um, – we're also on, on all social media, so Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok. So um, you can follow us on those platforms. If people want to get more involved, they should send us a message on one of those platforms or via our website. And um, we also regularly have talks and things, so keep a watch out for those and people can connect with us at those events. Very cool. I will pop all this info on the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today, Bonnie. Once again, for everyone, we've been speaking to Bonnie, an activist and campaigner from Fireproof Australia. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me on the show. No worries. 
Dear Member of Parliament, by now there is no reasonable doubt that our nation is suffering climate disasters. Likewise, there is no doubt that these will worsen in the coming decades, even with the most urgent and decisive action to abandon greenhouse emissions. Without these actions, the climate is liable to destabilise into a hothouse scenario, a process that will be unrecoverable at any price. In this context, Fireproof Australia's concern lies first and foremost with the victims of climate disaster. The failure to both prevent and prepare for a catastrophically degraded climate constitutes the most fundamental betrayal of the national interest that we can recall or imagine. We must act urgently on three points. The protection of our citizens, the decarbonisation of our economy and the pursuit of all possible diplomatic and economic means to drive the attainment of global net zero. The nation cannot do that from a position of hypocrisy. The obviousness of this points to a profound institutional fact. In this knowledge, Fireproof Australia has three primary demands. Firstly, that any Australian unhoused by a climate disaster is rehomed at the expense of the federal government. Secondly, that the federal government establish a sovereign aerial firefighting fleet as proposed by the Emergency Leaders for Climate Action. Thirdly, that the federal government fund all schools, aged care and disability care facilities to be fitted with air purifiers sufficient to protect the occupants against bushfire smoke. We recognise the many other diligent and responsible workers across the political spectrum striving for a safe climate. We acknowledge their criticism of our tactics. Our allegiance, however, remains with those affected. We urge members to meet with us and begin drafting legislation to the effect of our demands. Together we shall overcome. Together we shall overcome. Fireproof Australia. That was the Fireproof Australia letter to federal ministers. And now we'll just cut to a quick song, Bags by Claro.
My next guest is Jara, activist and campaigner from Blockade Australia. Hi, Jara. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Kai. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Firstly, can you please let us all know who are Blockade Australia? So Blockade Australia is a uh, organising network that organises direct action around the issue of the climate and ecological crisis, uh, particularly focused on resisting what we call the Australian system that is uh, contrib- like a leading contributor to that climate crisis. So, yeah, we use sustained direct action to target um, what we call bottlenecks in the Australian system, like the port of Newcastle and the port of Botany. And, yeah. Uh, what encouraged you to get involved and how long have you been campaigning against the climate crisis? Oh, I've been trying different things to uh, campaign against the climate crisis. You know, like when I was younger, I did a lot more traditional methods of protesting and politics, um, the kind of thing like attending rallies and calling your local MP and that, that kind of stuff. And I felt like none of it was working. You know, there was that election in 2019 where... It was meant to be the climate election and the Liberal Party got elected. Um, I don't think Labor has any any more helpful policies, really. But after that, yeah, I felt pretty disempowered by the way the system set up. And I started doing direct action in uh, so-called Brisbane in Queensland. And then, yeah, I kind of got involved with Blockade Australia last year and did an action in the mobilization at the port of newcastle where i locked myself to a car in the train tracks and yeah just been involved since and um feel like direct action to actually cause some change in the system compared to what i was doing before that you mentioned feeling a bit disempowered with you know the traditional routes of um campaigning how do you feel now being involved with blockade uh, definitely being involved in direct action feels a lot more empowering. Like you can, I don't know, it's like you can just get a group of people together and then go out and kind of do something yourselves. You know, you're not waiting on an election to come around. You're not having to like abide by a kind of system that's set up to favour the wealthy and elites. You can go and disrupt like a, an important port like Newcastle or the Port of Botany and you can create a lot of disruption there and not just draw a lot of attention to the crisis, but kind of like wield a lot of the power that like we all have um, as individuals that can come together collectively. And yeah, just seeing the room for growth that this kind of movement has is super empowering. Yeah. And I think direct action is really, really, really important because there's that financial hit where the traditional routes don't work this is just a question. It's so fine if you don't know the answer. Do you know, in you know, on monetary value, how impactful these actions are? It's it's pretty hard to know. Like, and figures get thrown around, and not sure how true they mm-hmm. are. But during the Newcastle actions that Blockade Australia took last year in November. Uh, the Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce around day seven came out saying that we'd cost the industry or the industries that use that rail network and port $60 million. And I feel like that's a bit of an exaggeration, but Mm. uh, yeah, it's definitely in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars worth of disruption that have been caused at Newcastle and Botany. You'd be hoping so, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
So I noticed that Blockade Australia was recently um, hitting the mainstream media route. What was the recent campaigning and coverage all about? So the recent, um, yeah, coverage and <laughs> mobilisation that Blockade Australia organised was the Port of Botany mobilisation. And the Port of Botany is the biggest container port on the continent. And a lot of stuff moves through there, not just fossil fuels. Like, it's a really important um, piece of infrastructure for the Australian system. And Blockade Australia shut that down. Some rails leading into the port, as well as um, Max, who went into the port himself and got sentenced to four months prison after his action. And... What has been the reaction from the wider public? Yeah, so it's pretty hard to gauge the reaction from the wider public. I think there's been a lot of support for the actions and a lot of um, different environmental groups and different human rights groups coming out in support of Blockade Australia for the action that um, we'd taken. There was a lot of repression from the state. There was a lot of, like, um, there was a strike force set up. People received really heavy sentences from... um, the justice system and yeah there was there was a lot of media coverage um some of it pretty some of it pretty favorable but a lot of it in the mainstream media like the murdoch press and the fairfax press was pretty um yeah poorly framed around yeah blockade australia and what we were doing but Mm. what are some of the blockade australia's demands or you know requests for a habitable biosphere (laughs) Yeah, so Blockade Australia doesn't actually have any demands. Um, It's a bit of a controversial and unique point about it. But one of the reasons for that is, you know, what we want is for people to just engage in effective um, political action, basically, which we see as, like, sustained disruption over many days against points of the system that are really important to the Australian system, like these ports or the Sydney CBD, which we're going to be taking action in um, in June later this year. And, yeah, I guess what, what we really want to see is just people coming out in, on the streets in resistance to the inaction, um, climate inaction of the Australian system. And we think from that, you know, demands can be made. But first of all, we, we need to get out onto the streets and just resist what's happening. How can people get involved if they want to know more or join in June? Yeah, so uh, there's Blockhead Australia is currently running quite a few info sessions in person and online, as well as um, non-violent direct action trainings in uh, the so-called Melbourne area. There'll be a info talk on um, the 28th of April, and then there'll also be one in Castlemaine on the 4th of May, and a non-violent direct action training. Uh, in Castlemaine on the 29th of May. And apart from that, there'll be lots of other talks and trainings happening. And the best way to check those out is on the Facebook page, Blockade Australia, or the website, blockadeaustralia.com. And, yeah, the best way to get involved is just to come along to one of those and we'll go through the strategy and the purpose in depth and how to get involved in the organising. And, yeah, that's all building up to this mobilisation that Blockade Australia is planning from June 27th to July 2nd in Sydney, um, which will be centred around disrupting the Sydney CBD as much as possible because it's the economic capital of this continent and where we think we can get the most bang for our buck. Is there anything that you want to add that I haven't asked? 
Yeah, I think, um, yeah, really just maybe to touch again on the, the point that, like, this is the climate and ecological crisis is happening. It's all around us. And, you know, an election will die waiting for a climate election is a banner that's been used in a number of blockade Australia actions. Um, Liberal and Labor Party aren't going to save us. The Greens don't have enough power in this election and we really need to act before before the next few years. And the only real way left to do that, I think, is by getting organised and taking to the streets and, yeah, creating these social movements that can challenge the system and change the system. And that's what Blockade Australia is trying to do and trying to start here. And, yeah, I think if people can come along to one of those talks or trainings and then come along in June, we can go a long way towards uh, starting the kind of movement we need here. We just heard from Jara, climate activist and campaigner for Blockade Australia. I'll add all the Blockade Australia information in the show notes. Please check it out, support and join if you're up for it. We'll now cut to another song, Cannons, Fire For You. Just drop 
Today I'm speaking to Scott Jordan, activist and campaigner from the Bob Brown Foundation, joining me all the way from beautiful Tasmania. How are you going this morning, Scott? Great. Good morning to listeners. Um, so firstly, how are you feeling after the election results? Well, look, it's a, it's an optimistic result, isn't it? It's um, we've we've seen a, a clear voice from the country that we we want action on climate and we want action on on you know protecting our, our wild and sacred places. And um, for those of us that have been out there on the blockade in the Tarkine, defending these ancient carbon-rich forests and, and these amazing um, you know biodiversity you know enclaves um it's it's an optimistic morning this morning absolutely i haven't been able to wipe the smile away from my face acknowledging that we still have work to do but it is a very good day how is it up in the tarkine right now what's been going on and what is the campaign focusing on at this point in time well look we're we're i guess right at the pointy end at the moment um we've we've had um earlier this year the, the previous environment minister uh, approved drilling and roading works and, and clearing works to occur at the site of, of Chinese state government-owned minor MMGs plans to put in a massive toxic heavy metals tailings dam in, in the beautiful rainforest of the Tarkine. Um, we've been out there documenting um, the presence of masked owls and Tasmanian devils and spotted tail quolls, and and we've we've taken that evidence to the court, and we'll have a court case, um, you know, arguing that the former minister didn't consider particularly the masked owl, and that'll be heard in July. But um, unfortunately, we we also sought an undertaking from the court for an injunction to prevent the company from being able to commence any of that work until the court had determined whether their permits were in fact legally valid or not. And unfortunately, the the, the judge decided to go with a, a promise from the company that they wouldn't undertake works within 15 metres of any of any tree that could have a masked owl nest. Now, that, that's to, to, to demonstrate how ridiculous that is, the, the drill rigs they'll be using on this site have the equivalent noise volume of a, a, a jet aircraft on takeoff. And so you'll have that amount of noise sitting 15 metres from a, a masked owl nest and expecting that it won't do any harm to to the owls physically or, or just cause them to abandon the nests uh, in general. And so I guess that's that's what we're up against. The company is, is right now pushing in new roading into that area and upgrading roadings, and we've had people on the ground physically putting themselves in the way of those machines and, and being arrested and being moved on by police and, and taking up that stand where the where the system has failed us. It absolutely has. And I wonder, you know, what is the community support like at this point in time? You know, has the campaigning been trying to also educate the public? How has that all been in the context of the huge federal election as well, where there's been a lot of noise about a lot of different um, policy and campaigning areas? Well, look, I guess locally um, the situation here in the Tarkine has has very much been part of the local um, campaign narrative, but it probably hasn't broken through um, in in the national uh, scheme. We we got a a some coverage recently. It was a four corner story that talked around 
um, you know, as part of our story, some of the issues we're facing in the Tarkite. But it's um, it, it's been a difficult space, and, and federal elections are always very difficult spaces to get local stories out. And and this this local story, of course, has has impact for the whole of the country. I mean, this is an area that that has been identified as having national heritage values. It's been identified as having world heritage values, and and we think all Australians should be um, concerned about what's happening down in, in our area. And and you know, we're sure once they do know what's going on they all want to come down and, and and see it protected and so we we've had a great number of volunteers we've had 600 people through our blockade um since january um and so we we're thrilled with the support we've had but um we we need a hell of a lot more and if we're going to win this fight we need people right around the country standing up and and being prepared to defend our wild places Absolutely, and it is such a beautiful carbon area or carbon sink. And uh, you know, it's Gondwana rainforest. It's stunning. It looks like a like a magical area with a lot of beautiful biodiversity. How can people who want to get involved get involved? Well, look, there's there's several ways. I mean, of course, um, if you're able to, um, if you can, yeah. Get yourself down here and stand on the front lines with us at the blockade, and and you know be willing to put your yourself on the line, um, as we've seen many times before with the, the Franklin and the Daintree and, and many other campaigns before us. It's it's when when people are prepared to to put their feet on the ground and, and stand that space, it, it speaks volumes. But we understand not everyone can can. Um, make their way down to Tasmania and, and, and do that. So there's a bunch of other ways you could help as well. And and one of them is is simply um donate. Um the campaign um does cost a lot of money to run. You know, we're constantly having to um you know resupply and, and organize um people on the ground and and you know organize legal representation for people who are being charged as the, the police come and remove people from the blockades. Um, and so there's there's a huge amount of expense that goes into a campaign of this this type, and and every dollar into this campaign is is gratefully received. But but we've also got a great opportunity with a with a um, election just out of the way, and a whole lot of um, new and returning MPs scratching their head about what the new world order means in terms of um, post this election. Now is a great time to be. Uh, turning up at their offices, I guess some of them might be a week or two before they have an office, but but getting on the phone to them and um, you know telling them that this area is special to you, that you don't want to see it destroyed, particularly in this case for a, a massive toxic tailings dam, um, and there are there are better alternatives. The company has alternatives available to it. Um, it doesn't have to go down this path, and that as your representative in in this new parliament. Um, you want them to be speaking on on issues like the Tarka and, and and when they do speak, what you want them to be saying is this area must not be destroyed. It should be in world heritage. It should be national heritage. And and this new incoming government um, should be acting on a, that as a priority. For sure. Scott, what would it mean for you if the Tarkine was protected? What does the Tarkine mean to you? Well, look, it's it is such an amazing place. It's it's Australia's largest remaining temperate rainforest. It's it's home to over sixty rare, threatened, endangered species. But I guess personally, it's it's the place that I've I've grown up around, and it's it's this um, 
I guess for me, it feeds my soul um, to just be out in that set space and connect with nature. And and we're biologically programmed to 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 like those green spaces and those wild spaces. It's where we've you know, originated from, yeah, in our DNA. And so, for for me, sixteen years of my life have now been dedicated to defending this area and trying to see it. Um, protected as a World Heritage Area or National Park, and, and return to Aboriginal ownership is a is an ultimate gain. Um, you know, this, to to see this would be incredible. And um, look, I'll keep turning up until the day it's protected. Amazing. Is there anything that you'd like to let listeners know that I haven't asked, or think that anything a good news story, perhaps also? Look, I, I guess um, the, the the great news is that this company is now 15 months behind. Um, for 15 months, people have been turning up on that blockade. They've been standing their ground. They've, they've been arrested. They've been um, given move-on orders by police. And, and people, you know, as soon as one's taken away, another one joins it. And, you know, it's it's really a testament to, to people power. And, and what we're seeing here... Um, Certainly hasn't hasn't got the the national media, but uh, we're seeing the the biggest direct action on the ground campaign since the Franklin River campaign here in Tasmania, and so this is this is a huge effort from from the hundreds of people that have been involved over this last fifteen months. But the fact that we are fifteen months on and this thing isn't built, and and we're we're still in the fight, is a testament to the the bravery and commitment of, of people from all over the country who have turned up here in the Tarkine to join with local people in defence of these amazing forests. One hundred percent. Fifteen months is a huge effort because that means dollars, that means time, that means it's even harder and harder for these companies to engage in these economically and environmentally vandalising projects. That's fantastic. Yeah, we're pretty proud, but it's not over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not. It's not. So. How can people get involved? You know, is it go on your website? Because I will put the information in the show notes as well. Yeah, so look, get, definitely get onto our website. Um, our Facebook page is is um, also a great way to get you know up to date uh, information. We're we're constantly posting um, around our the Tarkine campaign on the on the Facebook group, and we'll do call outs for when we need help. And, and right now, we we have a need for. Um, in the, the week before the election, the Federal Environment Minister conceded that they may have got it wrong on the um, decision to approve the, the drilling and roading works, and so they've opened a, a formal reconsideration process. And so we have until Thursday this week to get submissions in uh, uh, to the process there, you know, showing that uh, the mast owl is present on site despite the company's denials earlier in the in the game, and that um, if people you know, have, have got the time and the, and the ability. There's some, some notes on our website that can help you in, in forming a submission. They don't have to be long. In fact, there's a there's a 500-word limit on the online submission process. Um, but the more people that, that are, you know, standing up and saying this, this is wrong and, and we, we think this area should be um, protected as something more than a toxic tailings dump, um, that, that speaks volumes. And, and I guess in the next week we'll have a new... Federal Environment Minister, it'd be lovely for them to have a, um, you know, a whole lot of uh, letters from the public 
suggesting that they you know, they should take a more courageous stand than their last one. Absolutely. I'm going to do mine right after we get off this chat. Thank you so much for your time, Scott. It's been amazing to see and witness how hard the community have been fighting for the Tarkine. I'm trying to head down there in a couple of months, so I hope to see you down there soon. Yes, thank you very much. No worries. Have a lovely day. Once again, everyone, that was Scott Jordan, activist and campaigner from the Bob Brown Foundation. Have an amazing day, Scott.